What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Glory UJ Podcast. I'm Tyler, and back with me today is my co-host, Curtis. And today on the show, we're going to preview the Tennessee Volunteers as part of our Summer Scouting the Enemy series. At 4-8 and eight overall, an 0-8, 0-8 in the SEC last season, obviously... The Vols had one of the worst years in the program's history last year. I mean, I think, I think it was like the most losses they've ever had in a single year. Does that sound right, Kurt? I think eight losses is the most they've ever had. Yeah, especially the winless in the SEC. I mean, that's just that, like, that's unheard of for a team like Tennessee, that, that kind of program. I mean, that, granted, they haven't been great of late, but still, the, the history of that program, 0-8 in, in League 4 and 8 overall, truly probably the worst year in their history. But our goal today is to project forward. Not look completely bad. Project forward to the Tennessee team we're going to be facing this year in 2018. Now, to do so, we are certainly going to have to consider what happened last year. But we're also going to combine that with the coaching change, with Jeremy Pruitt coming in and taking over, uh, returning personnel, departing personnel, and all the like to project forward to this 2018 season and this team that we will see in late September. Uh, but first, I do want to just make sure that everyone knows that you can find us on Twitter, at Glory underscore UGA. Love to get your thoughts on this show and all those shows that we have produced out there for you guys. Uh, we're still taking a couple questions. We had, a, we, had a, we had some surplus questions from our mailbag episode earlier this week, and we're going to hold those uh, over till next week and do uh, kind of like a, a – I guess we're going to split a show up. We'll do the Vanderbilt preview since there's not a ton to talk about with, with Vanderbilt, but we're going to do a show with them. We're also going to – the second half of that show will be – Kind of the, the surplus mailback question. So we've got a couple of those. So if you still have some mailback questions that didn't did not get in in time for this week's show, feel free to send that to us at glory underscore UGA on Twitter. Also want to make sure everyone knows where to find us on uh, various podcasting platforms out there. Of course, DawSportsRadio.com be the first place to look. Part of the larger V-Sport-O internet radio network. You can download DawSports Radio app straight to your smartphone. If you, if you prefer uh, iTunes, SoundCloud, some of those bigger platforms out there you can definitely find us there and the stitcher and tune in apps as well we appreciate every single one of you that have taken a little bit of time out of your day to uh, give us a rating and review if you haven't done so uh, i know life is busy but it'd be great if you could take just a few seconds to give us a little rating review we would greatly appreciate that but all right with that stuff out of the way kurt let's go ahead and get into the talk about tennessee here and we're going to start with the numbers from last year kind of we kind of always start off these scout enemy shows with some numbers from 2017 kind of give you an idea now to be sure look every season we know every season every team is its own entity obviously but the numbers from last year at least give us a good baseline to start from so that's what we're going to pick up with here to start off and if you look at the tennessee offense we'll start there oh man this is bad Whew, very bad they were dead last in the SEC last year, 14th overall in total offense, averaging 291 yards in, under 300 yards. They were 14th, again, dead last in scoring offense, under 20 points a game, 19.8 points a game. Uh, and they weren't any more efficient. They were also, again, another dead last rating here, dead last in yards per play, which I'm huge on, only 4.7 yards per play. Guys, they, were the, and like, they weren't even close to anyone else. They were the only team in the SEC last year that averaged under five yards per play at 4.7. That is just abysmal. Uh, passing offense was atrocious. They were 13th in passing uh, with 173 yards a game. Uh, pass yards per attempt wasn't any better. Only 6.5 yards per attempt, good for 12th in the conference. Rushing the ball, weren't any better there either. 13th, just a spot above dead last. 13th in rushing offense at only 117 yards per game. Guys, we doubled up what they produced on the ground per game last year. That's crazy. Uh, and they were also, again, here's another one dead last. Dead last in yards per rush at 3.4 yards per rush. If you flip it over to the other side of the ball, defensively, they were, uh, like, the story's a little bit better for them, but 
not much, just marginally. They were tenth overall in total defense last year, giving up 413 yards per play, uh, yards per game. They were eleventh in yards per play. They gave up six yards per play last year. That's just not going to cut. It. That's how you go four and eight and zero and eight in conference. Give up six yards a play. Uh, they were ninth in scoring defense, giving up almost thirty points a game, just a hair under thirty points a game. Uh, now this is where it gets kind of weird. So they were first. In the conference, actually, in pass defense, only give up 161 yards per game through the air. But if you're looking like that, to me, kind of st- like jumped off the page. Like, well, how could they possibly been first in pass defense last year? So I looked a little bit closer, and when you peel back the layers, you see, okay, yeah, they were first in pass defense in the conference last year, but they also only had teams, or they, they were the second fewest passes attempted against them last year by opposing offenses. They only had 279 passes attempted against them last year, uh, and the large re- large reason because the large reason for that was that they were 14th in rushing defense, giving up 251 yards per game, giving up 5.4 yards per carry. Again, 14th in the league. So basically what you see there is teams had so much success running the ball, I mean, they were dead last in basically every major rushing defensive rushing category last year. Teams had so much success running the football against them, why would they even bother passing? So the numbers, I think, on the passing side are a little bit, you know, they were solid against the pass, but I think it's certainly skewed based on the fact that teams just ran the ball down their throat. And our game against them uh, was case in point there. We, hardly, we might have thrown the ball 13 times, something like that. We just ran down their throats. Uh, and they're all, they were also 13th nationally last year, or 13th in the SEC, excuse me there, uh, in red zone touchdown percentage. They gave a touchdown 70% of the time when opposing offenses got inside the red zone. So there's some numbers for you, Kurt. So clearly based on those numbers, they struggle just about everywhere, offensively and defensively, maybe outside of passing defense. But I think there's some mitigating circumstances there. So the answer to the question I'm about to ask you is probably a little bit of both. But if you had to take a side, were those putrid numbers I just ran through and the 0-8 conference record that they had last year, was that more of a function of talent deficiency or coaching dysfunction? Um, I think I'm going to go with a little bit of both. You know, they had some injuries that really hurt them, um, especially like when they lost Juwan Jennings and things like that. But the, the fact of the matter is um, they just didn't have – you know, they were poorly coached, but their talent was just not there. I mean, court, court, their quarterback, you know, the little rotation was terrible. I mean, Dormany um, was a joke to start the season. Guarantano came. Remember, remember the first game of the year Guarantano was pouting on the side like a little child? Yeah, and like, a petulant child. We're like begging to – like we're like over there – why aren't you putting him in when we were playing them in the stands everything they put him in it was even worse I mean because he sucks um, that's why they didn't put him in I mean just be exactly. real and then another thing that absolutely killed them was just their terrible offensive line I mean mm, and, and that's the biggest thing defensively they were really keeping their guys on almost the entire the defense was on the field they a couldn't lot get first downs yeah, they couldn't get first down. So, so to answer that question, you think it's like obviously it's a little bit of both. I think coaching there yeah, were some issues, but would you lean more towards talent? Have, yeah, I would go more towards talent because that was you could just see it out there. I mean, teams were getting huge. Our like offensive lines were getting big pushes against their defense. Their defensive players just weren't there, weren't making the plays. And offensively, they just didn't have any weapons that really scared you, other than Ty Chandler. Especially when Jawan Jennings went down against Tech in that opening game. Exactly, and I mean, you had guys who could make a play here and there, like Callaway and stuff. But, and John I mean, Kelly than, was a good back, but he was he was banged up most of the year. Exactly. So I mean, and, I, and that's what I think. I mean, injuries played into it. So I'd have to say the guys that were in there when the others were injured were just not up to the level. Yeah, look, Butch Jones was a bus off destruction for his own team, and they were self destructive from a coaching perspective. There's no doubt about it. His over the top catchphrases. I mean, brick by brick. 
five-star hearts, all that stuff. I mean, of course that stuff gets stale after a while, especially when you're not winning. You know, it wasn't that long ago. Remember, it was just a couple years ago that he was all the rage in Knoxville, right? They, they were eating everything up. But that was because he was selling them hope. That's how he was getting some solid recruiting classes. But like we kept saying when he was getting those recruiting classes, at some point you have to win. He was selling playing time and hope, and he was he was like basically selling a fresh start with him as the new coach and a new system and a new regime there. And that's great. You can sell that for a year or two. But once you get to year three or four, when you can't sell playing time anymore, and you got those recruiting classes stacked up, and you're still not winning. All of a sudden, it starts to get real stale, and people are going to start getting impatient. And that's exactly what happened. And he was on the hot seat coming into the year. Now, they beat Tech. They, should, they had no business winning that game in double overtime. You remember watching that game? Yeah, that was – Tech really lost. I mean, yeah, Tech blew that game. I mean, Tech completely – had a late fumble in the fourth. They, they completely blew that game. Tech had – or Tennessee had no business winning that game. They should honestly should have been 3-9 and nine last year. But they somehow – they find a way to win that game. I and mean, there was kind of smoke and mirrors there. They start off 2-0. and oh. Tennessee feels pretty solid. They get – a close loss at Florida, twenty six twenty. Then they, then I think when you really started to see last year was that UMass in the fourth game of the year. Like late in that game, they were losing. They were, I think it was down. They were down thirteen ten. They ended up winning late, seventeen thirteen, but very uninspiring. And then we we come in and just basically turn the lights off in Knoxville, blow them out, shut them out for was it the first time? First time like like 50 50 plus years, something like that. I don't think it was the first time ever. I can't remember off the top of my head. It was first time in a long time they've been shut out at home. 41-0 beat down, and it was just all downhill from there. From that point on, after they beat UMass, they won one game the rest of the way. They beat Southern Miss 24-10 at home. Uh, So, I mean, a lot of that had to do with coaching, especially once once you get to that point where you're you're like, okay, now we're we're 2-4, we're 2-5. And then you got who's this joke of a coach? And he's getting pummeled by the media. He's getting pummeled by the fans. And the players don't really trust him. They don't take him seriously. Because how could you take that guy seriously? I think that definitely played a role, no doubt about it. But I'm with you. I lean more towards talent. Because if you look at that roster, where were their major playmakers? On either side of the ball. I really didn't know any. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to look back at that roster last year and say, that dude was great. I mean, John Kelly started off that way. He was a really good player. But he was banged up through most of the year. Offensive line, like you mentioned, was an absolute train wreck. Juwan Jennings, you know, he had he had some hype coming into the year, and he was he's a good player. But he was out for, I mean, really the entire year. He gets knocked out in that first game of the year. Marquez Callaway had a big game against Tech in that first game, and people were all hyping up on him after that. But he really kind of let down. That didn't do much after that. So offensively, I didn't see anyone that was much of a playmaker. Defensively. Didn't really see much of that either. So I really lean towards more so being a, a function of a talent deficiency than the coaching. The coaching certainly played a role, clearly. But I think the talent – I mean, I think if, if they had talent last year, even that coaching staff, they would have won more than three games, right? Yeah. If you had enough players. All right, so say it's a talent deficiency. All right. And you got in this a little bit. Let's look at the offense. Let's start with the offense. We'll get into the defense here in a minute. So I ran through the numbers. I'm not going to run through them again. You guys heard them. I mean, they were dead last or right down there at the very bottom in basically every major offensive category, whether it's total offense, yards per play, scoring, oh, whatever it was, they were down there at the very bottom of the league. So why were they so bad offensively last year? And then part two to this question, how much do you expect those numbers to improve in 2018? More or less, honestly, they didn't scare anyone offensively. I mean, with Normandy um... – you're almost daring him to beat you with his arm, and he couldn't. Um, he had a, he had one of the biggest noodle arms I've ever seen in the SEC. Exactly. I mean, to me, more than anything, it was that teams were doing to them what they did to us, where they're stacking the box and forcing us to beat them with our arm, but they, they couldn't do it. Remember that first play, the first, literally the first play from scrimmage against Tennessee last year when we when we played them. Remember the, what the what happened? We knew they were. I mean, we knew they couldn't beat us deep, so we were playing them tight. We're playing them tight. 
Yeah, exactly. Tyreek McGee breaks in the ball, gets a pick. And basically what was had, they were throwing a quick, basically a quick out from the far hash, and Dorby yeah, threw it out there, and he's got no arm. He's got a noodle arm. The ball just hung in the air, and McGee's like, okay, yes, please, I'll take that. And boom, pick, and then we're in great field position. We start the game off with a, with a boom, and then it's just all downhill for there for, from there for them. But that's kind of what Dormandy was all year for them until they finally benched him. And you get Guarantano. And uh, Guarantano was no better. I mean, he, no. to me, he's even, he's even in uh, – to me, the big difference was he was even more inaccurate. Where Normandy just didn't have the good arm, he was decently accurate. Guarantano uh, was not. Guarantano didn't know how to play the position. I, I, I think I would say Dormandy knew how to play the position. He just didn't have any talent to actually do it. But Warren yeah, had no I idea what he was doing. Was yeah, he, he was polished and stuff, but he just didn't have the overall... He couldn't do it. He just couldn't execute it. Not in the SEC. Warren for a dual-track quarterback, he doesn't really scare you running the ball. Truly. Minus 39 total rushing yards last year for a guy who's supposed to be an athletic, dual-threat type no guy. He has no pocket presence. He's just None. one that wants to get out of the pocket run. He truly has no idea what he's doing. He has no pocket presence. He can't go through reads consistently. He's a one-read and kind of take-off guy or one-read, just tuck it and take a sack kind of guy. Now, granted, he was getting pressured a lot last year. But I saw nothing from him that would suggest that he's going to be a guy that takes a big step this year. Now, maybe they surprised me. I mean, you know, from year to year, you don't know. You don't really know. But based off what I saw from him last year, and I went back and watched quite a few games from him preparing for this show. And, dude, I, I just I did not see – I mean, usually when I'm watching these tapes, I can go back and say, you know what? There's one or two things about this guy. You no, know, he's not – it's not all bad. He, he's pretty solid here doing this, doing that. You can throw a touch, you can throw for different trajectories, you can escape pressure, whatever it is. Warantano, I had trouble finding one positive thing to say about him as a quarterback. And and I know you can sit here and say, well, you're just a homer, it's just your your rose color, your red colored glasses there. Uh, maybe, but I, I, I when I'm watching tape, I try to be as objective as possible, and I just did not see anything that suggested in any way whatsoever this guy can be even like a competent SEC quarterback. I didn't see it. Now, if you look at it this year, the the court, but this is the thing. Like when you're asking how do you, how much do you expect those numbers to improve this year? Like do you do you see a big jump for them this year, or even like a, even like a moderate jump this year? Do you see that? Honestly, no. I think the biggest reason is our offensive line is not going to get any better, and their best player on the offensive line, Trey Smith. We still have no idea if the kid's coming back or not. We have no clue. Um, I mean, he was out all spring for like very vaguely described as a personal. Uh, what, what did they say? It was like a, a personal medical issue. I think is what they said more or less. I mean, he, he was gone all spring. And now, like, look, he might come back with the time. They said he would be out indefinitely. And there's been no one. Like, have you heard anything? Because I've heard nothing. You don't, even, you don't even hear anything about him being with the program. I actually, like, preparing for the show, I looked up everything I possibly could about Trace Smith, tried to find something recently that had been mentioned about him. Looked on Tennessee's site, Tennessee message boards. I couldn't find anything. Now, I'm not saying there's not something out there. I couldn't find anything where they had just even mentioned the guy since spring, since saying that he's been he's out indefinitely. So, like, I'm not saying, like, we don't know for sure how that's going to turn out, but there is a real possibility that he won't be available for at least parts of, or maybe even all of the 2018 season. And, and, and how, if he's not available for them, how big of a blow is that for this Tennessee offense? Uh, it's a huge blow. I mean, like we said, they have a terrible offensive line. He was the one bright spot last year as a true freshman. Yeah, I mean, I think he's like the one true building block that can at least point to on the offensive line. He's a former top five national national recruit at left tackle. Uh, and like they're outside of him, and they're basically replacing every other star on the offensive line outside of him. If he isn't able to play, they're basically having five new stars in the offensive line. Now, you might say they were terrible on the offensive line last year, so maybe that's not such a bad thing. But I mean, do you buy into that? Is it is it kind of a situation where hey, they were so bad last year, it's just better off they get five new guys in there? No, I mean, like we said, he's the building piece for them. Yeah, I mean, in, I don't care how bad you were last year. Five new starters. 
Who, there's a reason those guys weren't playing last year because they weren't better than the guys who sucked last year. And let's also bring up this: they have a, they don't have a great offensive line coach and offensive line recruiter in that guy and fair. Uh, Will Friend. Yeah, fair, fair. And I mean, uh, and so we know that. that we know that for sure. Yeah, getting on to that, you know, the offensive line, who it is, and realistically, their top two options at quarterback are going to be transfer uh, Keller Chris yep. or go back with Guarantano. Keller Chris, if you look at his stats, um, he's about a 55% completion percentage, but the, thing, the one number that jumps off the most to me is his yards per attempt. It's at like six and a half yards per attempt. Yep. So he's not a big play threat. I mean, more or less, he was a, he, he was a glorified um you know, just to hand the ball off in that Stanford offense. He didn't beat yep. anyone, so he doesn't scare me. And like I said, I don't think he's the one that's going to go in there and burn you deep. And then Guarantano, if you watch the spring game, it didn't look like he developed any at all. I just don't know. Like, I I do believe that most guys can develop and get a little bit better, but Guarantano's like he's coming from he's coming from so far behind the eight ball. I don't know by the time he graduates if he's ever going to be, like I said, even like a remotely competent quarterback. Not even a good quarterback, just like a guy that, that can like be a game manager. I don't think he's that. So who do you think wins that battle? Because, I mean, if you look at Keller Christ, you know, this is a guy that was a former top 50 national recruit. He was a big-time recruit for Tennessee, or for Stanford years ago. And he's come to, to Tennessee as a grad transfer from Stanford. He, and he like he never lived in the building, building mayor. That's why he's transferring. He, now, he was he was a, a decent starter the course of four seasons. He had some he, – he's, he's kind of like a, an occasional starter through his – I think it was two years ago. He started the season – he actually started the season last year, but ends up losing his job. And he's a bigger guy. He's 6'5", 235. He's somewhat mobile, but he's not like a true dual-threat guy. He had a couple of games at Stanford where he made some things happen with his legs. Uh, he was highlighted by – I think it was an 11-carry, 83-yard performance against Oregon State one year. But – Outside of that, like he's not a guy that, that you can count on game in and game out being a threat with his legs. But he's a guy that I think is probably a little more polished than Guarantano is coming this season, wouldn't you say? Yeah, and I think he fits more what they want to do. They want to go to more pro-style power attack with um, what they want to do. Right. And realistically, I think the thing – the different, well, I, like I, to me, if I had to say who I think would be the guy right now, I'd probably go with him because I think the one thing – that he at least does is protect the ball. To me, it's a very similar situation to what um, their offense is. Kind of reminds me of our offense um, three years ago when we brought in Lambert. Yeah, I think I think that's kind of a, a good analogy. They're kind of reaching and just hoping that this guy can come in and find some magic somewhere without much really to fall back on. Like Grace Lambert did not have much of a track record of Virginia, other than he started started some games for them. Uh, but we, we we were in just desperate need for some help, and we brought him in, took a shot, said maybe this guy, he fits the pro style system, what we're looking for, he's a smart guy, um, obviously graduated early uh, as a grad transfer, so maybe you can, maybe that's kind of what they're looking at here and reaching with Keller Curry, trying to hope just find some magic, like just magic there for one season, some like lightning in a bottle. Uh, and like, I, But do you see that happening? Is, is Keller Chris a guy that's going to be good enough? Like, I, I imagine he'll probably be an upgrade for what they were doing last year from that position, right? Yeah. But do you think he's going to be good enough to get them over the hump and back to at least like even 500 in the SEC? Like no, he's that kind of quarterback? No, the difference is the offensive line is not there. They have a good running back in um, – Ty Chandler. Uh, yeah, Ty Chandler. But, I mean, it's, it's very similar to what they had last year. I mean, it's not going to be enough to truly scare teams. Yeah, it's I, I I do think he's a better quarterback option than Guarantano. Does it scare you though that he not scare you, but like as a, if for Tennessee fans, should they be concerned that he is only a guy that came in the summer? Now Grace Lambert did this. He came in the summer and still won the job. So it has been done before. But is that kind of 
put him behind the eight ball there by virtue of the fact that he's coming in so late to the process. Garantano's been there for a year or two, for a couple of years. Not really, because, I mean, it's still a new system. Entirely new system with Tyson Helton there at the helm. Entirely yeah, so, new I mean, system. It, like you said, Garantano's been around, but it's... it's basically, Garantano basically has the spring. Yeah, I mean, and that's it. I mean, and like we said, it, he didn't do anything to really seize that position when he had the opportunity. I mean, Garantano, he was just so below average last year. I mean, he, he was the lower half of the league in, in quarterback rating. And don't... The only guys he was above in QB rating last year were guys like Felipe Franks, Kellen Mond, who was a true freshman at Texas A&M, Cole Kelly, who came in for uh, for Arkansas in the middle of the season due to some injuries, uh, to Allen, their quarterback, the starting quarterback there, and then Nick Fitzgerald, who, for all his success running the football, is a terrible passer. Those are the only guys in the league he was above last year in quarterback rating. Now, he's fairly athletic, but he's not a true dual-threat guy, as we say. He's only got, like, for a guy that looks athletic and people kind of pumped him up as this kind of dual-threat guy that can do some things with his legs, he only had he was minus thirty nine in total rushing yards last year. Now there's a couple of games in the middle of the year where they tried to run him, but it just wasn't happening. Part of that's the offensive line's fault. Partly it's just that he that's yeah, he's I, just I not like that good. Game, they tried to run him at long. Yeah, yeah, they tried to, but there was like I think he was like under ten yards rushing in that game. Like they just couldn't get anything. Now some of that sack yards, yes, but like he's just like he's he can like he can kind of escape pressure, sure, but he's not a guy that's going to be a true dual threat type option. He just did not show that at all last year. And they were kind of pumping him up as that. He just did not show it at all. So, yeah, going back to the quarterback thing here real quick, I, I do think Chris will probably be the guy. He's, just, he's more polished. He's had more time in the, in the colleg- at the collegiate level. Um, he's had some good tutoring there by David Shaw at Stanford. And Guarantano just, again, showed me absolutely nothing to suggest that he can be the guy for them this year. So even though Chris is coming in a little bit late, it is a new system. Uh, and I think he'll, he's got enough football knowledge and football background to come in and take that job. And I do, I do think he fits more what they want, like you said, that pro-style type quarterback. So I have, if I had to kind of handicap it right now, I'd put Chris as the guy, but we'll see how that plays out. No way to know for sure. Um, so we talk about the offensive line a little bit. I do think, and tell me if you disagree with me on this. I want to see what you say. I think their skill, the offensive line's terrible. Quarterback situation, no bueno. But I do think the skill talent outside of that, at receiver and running back, is fairly solid. Would you agree with me there? Um, it's okay I think to say no. really good. I think they have a, they have a solid, uh, you know, a full backfield, but a lot of unproven other than Ty Chandler. That's but, the thing. Uh, I mean, wide receiver wise, I, I you know I would say Juwan Jennings is a really good receiver, but other than that, um, would you say he's really good? Because I don't know, I don't know if I'd go that I far. Think, I think he's solid. I think. Yeah. He's, I mean, for, when you're comparing him to everyone else on the I team, mean, his best year. Now, obviously, he was out. From, he was supposed to be the guy for them last year, but that got derailed when he got injured in the first game. But in 2016, he had a solid year. He had 40 catches, 580 yards. Uh, but I don't know if he's a true number one. Do you see him as that? Uh, I, I wouldn't say he's a true number one. He's, he's not the, your go-to guy that's going to dominate a game for the entire game. But for them, he will have to be because Callaway, he can make some plays, but he's also very, very inconsistent. He's highly inconsistent. I mean, Callaway's a major red zone three. He's got a, a great vertical leap. He's got good body control in the air. He showed that a couple of times last year. That's where he kind of made his highlight plays. People are all hyped up about him. But from like you said, you're right. From like down to down, play to play, He's not that guy. At least he, he at least he wasn't last year. Now he can make a jump this year. We'll see. But what we saw from him last year, he wasn't that guy. Juwan Jennings, 2016, was was a good, solid player for them. But he wasn't the number one receiver. He's never had to be that guy. And he's never shown that he can be that guy. I'm not sure Juwan Jennings is the guy that can take the top off of the defense. Now he's a big body type guy. I don't think he's a true home run threat down the field. I don't see that in him. But I think Callaway and Jennings, though, saying that about those two, I still think it's a solid one-two punch, right? Yeah, I mean, compared to what they, you know, they've had. Yeah, and Jennings like, dude, I mean, you remember the the whole the, the profanity-laced tirade he had last year? Yeah. 
Dude, I mean, if you guys didn't catch, I mean, he got kicked off the team last year. At the end of the year last year, now he wasn't playing, but he got himself kicked off the team with a with a very, in my opinion, character-revealing, profanity-laced tirade aimed at the Tennessee coaching staff. Now, he got very lucky with the coaching change. Maybe he made that tirade uh, knowing that the coaching staff was going to get fired and he'd have a, a, a basically a clean slate with a new coaching staff. But that's exactly what happened. He got very lucky with a new coaching staff coming in. Uh, they kind of brushed it under the rug and brought him back in the fold really because they need him. But again, he hasn't proven to be a true number one. He's only got one 100-yard game in his career. Not saying he can't do it. I'm just saying he hasn't done it yet. So like all the people who want to hype him up say, Juwan James is coming back. Yeah, we're going to be great. I don't know, man. Let's 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 see first. Let's see him actually do because he hasn't actually done that yet. Uh, Ty Chandler, you mentioned. I think I'm really high on Ty Chandler. What kind of back do you think he can be? Not, I think he's very similar to uh, Kelly from last year, but just not as talented. I think Chandler's got all SEC, maybe not all SEC first team, but all SEC potential down the road. The pro, like in terms of what he brings to the table, but the problem is the offensive line he's running behind is is horrific, and he might get killed. Like he might get murdered out there on the football field, and that's because his offensive line is terrible. Uh, so like, I mean, he's a former top one running back. I mean, he took over late this season last year. John Kelly had some injuries, so he took over for him a couple of games. And his numbers weren't spectacular, just barely over four yards per carry, which is not great. It's, I mean, it's pretty pedestrian. But when I watched him run, the thing was, not just the numbers, when I watched him run, I saw a lot of potential in him. He's a very fast, very fluid athlete with good, solid size. He runs hard. He can get behind his pad level. Um, but there's, like you mentioned, there's very little behind him. Like If he goes down like Kelly did last year, like when, when Kelly went down, at least they had Ty Chandler to turn to last year. Well, if Ty Chandler goes down this year, who are they turning to? Carlin feels a me. Richmond and stuff. I mean, feels I mean, a is the only guy that they've got, and he's. I mean, we recruited him a couple years back, but we kind of we, we kind of cooled off on him. But he's not like he's not a he's not a true top top flight SEC back. So if Chandler goes down and with that offensive line, there's a good chance he might. I mean, I'm not rooting for anybody to go down, but there's a very real possibility he's going to get injured at some point with that offensive line he's running behind. Unless they improve dramatically, which I just don't see happening. If he goes down, I just don't know who they have behind him. I don't know. So let's wrap the offense up here before we move on to the defense. So overall, Kurt, what's your take on this Tennessee offense moving into 2018? How much better will they be? Um, I think they'll be a little bit improved, but not back to what the Tennessee have been used to. What they want. Like what they're hoping yeah. for. Yeah, I, I, I'm i with you. I, I think this offense does have some solid skill talent. We just went over. But, man, I just cannot get over the offensive line remains a huge question mark, as does the quarterback position. With and with, When you have major concerns at those two spots, which I think are critical on, on the offensive side of the football, your skill talent, as good as it might be, is largely neutralized. When you don't have an offensive line that can protect anybody, you don't have an offensive line that can open up holes, you don't have a quarterback that can consistently get you the football, your skill talent might be good, but it's largely neutralized there. So, like, I guess at the, at the end of the day here, I think it stands to reason there's going to be some marginal improvement at quarterback, if only because they were so bad there last year. And given that the numbers were at or near the bottom across the board in 2017, I'll say we'll see like some slight improvement offensively. But I really wouldn't expect much more than that at this point. I really would. I would. All right, let's move over to the defense side of the ball. Uh, obviously, we all know Jeremy Pruitt. He's been a couple years here in Athens. He has made his bones as a defensive coordinator. Uh, that's kind of what he parlayed into getting, into getting this job. So this is a defense that was very bad last year. Went over the numbers early in the show. Very bad. Not as bad as the offense, but not that much better. Just slightly better. But how much of an impact do you expect Jeremy Pruitt with his background as defense coordinator, kind of like Kirby Smart, and defense coordinator Kevin Shearer, first-time defense coordinator Kevin Shearer, 
Actually, I shouldn't say that. He was the defense coordinator. At what? Uh, was it Alabama State? That's Alabama State. It's one of those smaller schools before we hired him. He left that job to come here to be our be a position coach for us. But with Kevin Shearer as defense coordinator and Pruitt with his background as a defense coordinator, how much impact do you expect them to have on this defense in year one? Because in, in his first year in Athens, i got to give Pruitt some credit here. And his first year here, 2014, he took our defense that was 45th nationally in 2013 all the way up to 17th nationally total defense in 2014 in his first year. Do you expect him to have a similar impact to Tennessee in 2018? Not at all. I mean, I think the biggest reason is uh, when he came into ours, he had people like Leonard Floyd and stuff. Leonard Floyd, Marlo Herrera, or Meek Wilson, Jordan Jenkins. Yeah, Jordan Jenkins. You have you had some guys. Now there were some spots like that we that we ha- had some deficiencies, but we at least had some dudes. So you're saying you don't see any dudes on this defense? Not like not not better better. Uh, first-round picks and Leonard Floyd and, you know, uh, third-round picks or whatever Jordan Jenkins was. I don't see people like that on this defense. Yeah, I mean, okay, this is a, I, I, I kind of play this game sometimes. And this is, again, me probably being biased, being a homer, whatever. Uh, I'll take it. It's good. You can call me a homer. It's fine. But if you look at this Tennessee, def- this Tennessee defense, how many players on this Tennessee defense would you reasonably say could or would start for the top teams in the SEC, the, the, the Georgias, the Alabamas, the Auburns of the league? How many players on that defense – would start for one of those teams. I would say maybe one or two. I would say maybe Nigel Warrior safety. Yeah, he, he's I'm a, thinking maybe Nigel Warrior. He's a good maybe player. Micah Abernathy. No way. I don't see Abernathy. No way. Well, I'm just, I'm just being generous. I mean, he's a senior. I'll give him that. But I just like, dude, that he. I don't think he's any good at all. What, yeah, what a terrible decision he made to go to Tennessee, dude. That sucks for him. I hope he's enjoying his time there. Man, sucks. I think Daniel Daniel Batuli at linebacker is a good player. I think he's athletic. He's powerful. He's explosive. I think he's a really good player at, at the middle linebacker at the Sam linebacker. I think he'll probably play Sam Sam linebacker for them this year, depending on what what personnel package they're in. But I think he's a good solid player. It, it was weird like you had Darren Kirkland Jr. who said he was leaving the team, but then a couple weeks later comes back and says, "No, I met with Coach Pruitt and I'm back on the team." Now he was out most of last year with injuries. I mean, he was a guy that had. Some promise. He shows some promise early in his career, but it's kind of been just really nagged by injuries. Do you see him as a guy that could potentially take a step forward this year and kind of build off that promise he showed early in his career? Uh, he could, but those knee injuries are always hard to come back. So hard to, man. I know. I, I He'll probably be a solid player for them. He's probably in their plans this year because I don't know who else they have out there. But really, I would say, I would look at Batuli and say he's a guy that I think could. I don't think he would start for Bama. I don't think he would start for us. But yeah, he's a good solid player. He'd be in the rotation. I think he'd be more like a a third linebacker type guy for some of those teams. Guy can, can come in and get in the rotation. I think Nigel Warrior is a really good player back there. Uh, but outside of that, I mean, Shy Tuttle, who's a big time recruit and has never lived to the hype. Now he had some knee injuries as well. Uh, Kyle Phillips is a guy that's gone back and forth between defensive end, defensive tackle. Jonathan Combo is a JUCO guy that got a couple years back who they had high hopes for as a pass rusher. Has never come close to living up to the hype there. Uh, and dude, I mean, outside of, like really outside of that, is there anyone I'm missing here that could possibly be a, a starter on a top level defense in the SEC? Not really, no. I, there's just not. So. You're, you're looking at a defense that has maybe two, maybe three guys that could reasonably contend to be uh, in the rotation on some of the top, te- top defenses in the league. Outside of that, you got some average talent. So if you look at it that way, do you? Uh, they were, I think, 83rd nationally last year in total defense. How much of a jump do you expect them to make in year one under Jeremy Pruitt with the lack of playmakers there? maybe in the 40s or 50s. So if they get to the 40s and 50s in that range, 
where do you think that they finish? So if, if we we know their offense, if their offense is slightly better than than what they were last year, but just just by bits and pieces, and they move up to about the forties, fifties in total defense, where do you see this Tennessee? How would you project them finishing this year? Six and six at best. Yeah, we were talking about this before the show. Um, you want to fill the fill the the the, uh, the listeners here on what you were telling me before the show about Marcus Spears and his prediction? Yeah, well, while looking into you know some of the predictions for this uh, Tennessee team, you know, you had all of the Tennessee writers talking about how they could challenge us, which I thought was just nonsense. But you know, I thought figured they're all homers. Well, what got me the most is Marcus Spears going on Paul Feinbaum saying that you know he thought this was a seven or eight or an eight win Tennessee team. Eight. There is no freaking way they win eight games. Like I, it would be the surprise. Honestly. I, I don't like to speak in absolutes. I really hate speaking in absolutes because crazy things happen. But, dude, this is like – I just – this is as close as I'll come to it. I just don't see how in the world this Tennessee team wins eight games. I I don't see it, man. Okay, we got East Tennessee State. That's a win. UTEP's a win. Uh, Charlotte's a win. That's three. And I'm going to be generous here and say that they're going to beat Kentucky and Vanderbilt. Now, I don't think those are 100% sure things, but they can beat Kentucky at home and they can beat Vanderbilt on the road. So that's five wins right there. Listen to this stretch in the middle of the year. Starting September 22nd, they got Florida at home. Then they come to Athens. They got a bye week. Then they go to Auburn. They have Alabama at home. And then they're at South Carolina. Five out of six weeks there. Do they win any of those games? No. They don't win any of those games. There's no way. They got West Virginia to open the season. Right now, with what with what West Virginia has returning on offense and what Tennessee or the, the lack of true playmakers Tennessee has on defense, I don't see how they they hold West Virginia in check enough to score enough points to beat West Virginia. I think West Virginia beats them in Charlotte to open the season. So that's another loss right there. So that's six losses. Uh, then you look at Missouri. I think honestly, I think Missouri is. And we were talking about this before the show. I think Missouri is the. It's kind of like the the hinge game for them. If they can beat Missouri at home late in the season, this the the uh, November seventeenth game, right before the, uh, it's their eleventh game of the year, very much the last game. If they can beat Missouri at home late in the season, I think that could get them to six and six in a bowl game. If they lose that game, I think they're five and seven. I think that's what it comes down to. I mean, I, I know anybody can upset anybody on any given day, but man, I just don't see this Tennessee team what they've got coming up with the issues they have on the offensive line, the issues they have at quarterback, still the lack of playmakers defensively. I just don't know how they upset a Florida, Georgia, Auburn, Alabama, or at South Carolina. I just don't know. And I I think they'll beat Kentucky very much. I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt there. But I don't think those are done deals either way. They, like, sure, maybe they could step up and beat Florida at home. Sure. But they could just easily lose at Vanderbilt or lose to Kentucky at home, if you want to say that. So eight wins? Whew. No way, man. I'm not seeing that. I think six wins at best in year one. If you're If you're a Tennessee fan, which obviously you're not, if you end up six and six, how, is that a successful season for Tennessee in 2018? Don't claim it as a success, but you know, with all the billing of how great Jeremy Pruitt is, you know, I just got. To, I mean, they, they're building him up to be the next they'll Kirby Smart. Forward, but I mean, it, to me, you already have journalists and people out there already talking about how Pruitt's a better head coach than Kirby Smart. Yeah, let's talk about that for a second. Like, there's a lot of comparisons made out there. Well, Kirby Smart coming from Alabama, that's where his roots were. Uh, made his bones as a defense coordinator, coaching Nick Saban, was tutored under him, gets his first head coaching job in the SEC at a big-time program. So there's a lot of parallels there. between All oh, these people are trying to draw parallels between Kirby Smart and Jeremy Pruitt. Do you buy into those at all? No, because the one thing that really gets me is when you really get down to it, the big difference is that, to me, Pruitt never actually really built a true defense himself. 
That's fair. He, he comes in to Florida State where the talent was already loaded. The roster was loaded yeah, for him. Yeah, you already there. have people like Jalen Ramsey, um, the uh, big D lineman. I can't think of his name right now. Um, you already have people like that that really help. Well, I had him. Walker, who's a good player for them. Yeah. yeah. You you have people like that, which makes it life a lot easier. You come to Georgia, you know he did he, he did get us some. No, he he definitely year. improved our defense. I'll give him he that. He definitely did. Defense, yes, but you saw we saw it in just what two years, what or even now how how much different our defense is now that Kirby Smart's here and the way he's built our defense. Then it goes to Bama, and you saw the guys develop there. more under Kirby Smart. The guys that were here under Pruitt, a lot of them got a lot better under Kirby Smart, Mel Tucker. Now yeah, part of that's because they got older. That's true. Part like of it's because they got older. But I also think you know, part of it is that Kirby Smart and Mel Tucker just can develop talent. Maybe a little bit better. I think there's something to that. Yeah, I thought they built depth better on our defense too. Um, you know, just adding depth. I mean, that's that was one of our biggest problems when we first got here. We just had a lack of depth. We had a good front, uh, you know, first eleven. But yeah. depth is what killed us. And then you go to Bama, where you're already stacked all the way through. But by the time he leaves, you know. He, he, you know, Bama's defense is they're. I mean, it's to the point now where they're they're going to have to start trading pressure and things like that because you know he didn't replace them with the talent that was. He just there. has nowhere near the track record that Kirby Smart had coming in. When when Kirby got our job, he had much better he had a much better track record than Jeremy Pruitt ever had when that, before taking the job at Tennessee. Now Jeremy no, Pruitt has done some good things. I'll give him credit. He's like he's not a scrub. I'm not saying that. And he there I, I do see what like, I see what people are saying. Okay, well he's a good recruiter like Kirby was. Uh, he coaches defense, good coordinator like Kirby was. I get that. When I look at these two guys as head coach material, I, I think they're night and day. I think they're different yeah, there's, people. There's one thing that never gets mentioned when, they, you know, they, like you said, they talk about the defense and the recruiting and everything, but they never mention the way they handle people and the way he was received. Yeah. You know, he was ran out of FSU. Yep. George, uh, Burned every yeah. bridge imaginable here. Yeah, bur- I mean, no. Like, he, went on a blaze, man. Like, he burned it to the ground here in Athens. Now, I mean, saying that people don't have a high opinion of him here is – that's putting it lightly. The people – I mean, you, you you and I know some of the people around the program, and, like, the perception of him uh, is is highly unfavorable. Is that fair to say? You already see it at Tennessee when he took the job at Tennessee. Uh, he was supposed to keep the running back coach. Keeps him until the recruiting's over, then fires, fires him. him. Yep. And then right after spring game, we, we not like calling the fans like Kirby. Like, think about how Kirby handled the the ninety three K day, right? Like the way Kirby handled that, and like calling our and calling our fans out, but doing it in a positive, kind of like challenging our fans, not calling them out, not like chastising our fans, not lecturing our fans. But remember after after the the spring game at Tennessee, and they didn't have as much of a showing as he would have liked there. What did he turn around and do? Yeah, he trashed the fans. He trashed them. He trashed the fans. He's like, our players didn't, some of them just didn't show up today, just like our fan base. So he, 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 you know, he really trashed both. Yeah, he, I mean, he's trash, he, and that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, that's why I don't see a lot of similarities as head coaches between Kirby Smart and Jeremy Pruitt. Because Kirby Smart is just vastly more polished as a human being, as an individual, as a man, than Jeremy Pruitt is. Is that fair? Very I mean, that, that's just. The, I mean, look. And I, I know he hasn't had a chance to be a head coach uh, other than like spring practice. But what we've seen from him when he got the job, what he said during spring practice, how he handled that situation, what we saw here in Athens, what we saw in Florida, Florida State. I mean, the reason we were able to get Jeremy Pruitt, a guy that's coming off a national championship at Florida State, and, and coming into a situation where Mark Ricks, you know, on his last leg there, he's still kind of on the hot seat. The reason we were able to get a guy like that is because he basically got ran out of Florida State, all right? But the dude's a hothead. He's an absolute hothead. He's a petulant child. I mean, that's what he's shown throughout his career. Yeah, yeah. Showing up at allegedly showing up at our at our head coach's house, drunk and angry, knock on the door in the middle of the night after the loss to Florida. So I mean, look, we can't we can't confirm that hundred percent, but there are a lot of people that we know that have suggested that that 
did indeed happen. Um, so look, it's just he's just he's kind of I would say uncouth is a word that I would use with him, and and maybe that fits in with Tennessee. You know, maybe I mean it probably really does. But when you're comparing these guys as head coaches, builders of programs, I just do not see the comparison. I just don't see it. Now I will say Pruitt's gonna he's gonna recruit, he's gonna upgrade their talent level. That's gonna happen. But at some point, I think he's just going to flame out because of who he is and that kind of hot-headed personality he has. And he just doesn't have the polish that Kirby Smart has. He just and that's and again, you can call me a homer if you want, but I'm based enough what we've seen from Kirby Smart through two and a half years and what we've seen from Jeremy Pruitt to this point in his career. But I guess that's just our take on the matter there. But all right, guys, that does it for us here. Actually, before we get out of here, Kirby, one last thing. We always, I like to do this with our with our picks here or with these previews. Give me, real quick, before you get out of here, your way-too-early confidence level in us winning this game in late September. I'd probably go at an 8. I want to go 9, you know? I do, but I kind of reserve 9 and 10s for for those FCS teams and the the UMasses of the world, teams like that. So I'm going to go 8. I, an 8 is about as high as I would give an SEC opponent. Um so yeah, I think I'm with you. I think there's no reason at home that we should lose this team. Like we are significantly better at essentially every single position. I like, is there one matchup that right now? I mean, it's still early. We gotta see what everybody looks like in 2018. But based on what we've seen to this point, what we know to this point, what we think is going to be true right now, is there any matchup that really concerns you? Not truly. I mean, and maybe you can make an argument there receivers and young DBs, but by that time, I mean, our, our DBs will be have kind of gone through the fire there at, at, at South Carolina and at Missouri. So I don't, uh, yeah, I'm kind of with you. I think I hate to always agree with you, man, but I think you've got it spot on here. I think eight would be my way to early confidence level in this game. But all right, that does finally do it for us here today on the Glory UJ podcast. We definitely appreciate each and every one of you taking time every day to listen to our show here. Uh, for Curtis, I'm Tyler. Thanks for listening, and as always, Go dogs.